Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant, but no matter how the action unfolds, DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant dub. They even have great same-game parlays. Like in the Celtics-Knicks game, you can get the Celtics money line, Tatum over 26.5 points, Jalen Brown over 22.5 points. That's at plus 258 odds in the Bucks bulls game. You can get Bucks money line, Giannis over 28.5 points, and Dame over 5.5 assists at plus 252 odds. So many different ways to bet the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. Got a jam-packed show for you. The Chicago Bulls, apparently, are going to start looking at potentially moving Zach Levine per a report from Sham Sharania this morning. We're going to talk about the Bulls, any one of their four or five trade targets that could be available this season and what teams could benefit from those potential trades this year. Uh, then we're going to do our first edition of Power Rankings of the season. We're going to hit the top 10 teams in the league and talk about each of them for a couple 
couple of minutes. Then I have nine mailbag questions for the end of the show. We're going to hit on a bunch of different things during that mailbag. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. Um, Obviously, the volume is kind of split up. It's still the same company. We just all have our own channels now. So the old volume feed is now the Colin Coward podcast. This one is just for Hoops Tonight. Still a part of the volume, but we're trying to get this new channel off the ground. So it would mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Shout out to Chris Lee, who won our free tickets competition last week. Um <clears throat> Sorry that LeBron didn't play in the in the game against the Blazers, but at least it was a very entertaining basketball game. All of you guys who participated in that competition, I appreciate it. But again, even if you uh, did not, I, I appreciate you guys subscribing to the channel. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcast, Under Hoops Tonight. Follow me on Twitter, underscore Jason LT. That's where you're going to see show announcements as well as video breakdowns. And then don't forget to keep putting mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so we can hit them at the end of the show. And then last but not least, before we get started, obviously baseball's over now, but basketball's in full swing for college and the pros. Obviously the NFL and college football are in the heart of their season, and we still have lots of concerts and comedy shows touring around the country. And the best way to get tickets to any of these is on GameTime, the fastest-growing ticketing app in the United States. So for amazing last-minute deals on tickets, to see your favorite football team or to see your favorite basketball team, GameTime has a deal for you. And again, it's not just sports. It's also concerts and comedy shows that are touring around the country. Game Time has your tickets there as well. Download the Game Time app and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, download the Game Time app, enter code HOOPS, that's H-O-O-P-S, for $20 off. No matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the Game Time app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's talk some basketball. So um, I talked a lot about the Bulls this summer, if you guys remember I kept throwing this stat out there. The core four players, so DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic, and uh, Patrick Williams combined to miss just 13 games last year. Combined between four players. Uh, Patrick Williams and Nick Vucevic in particular played all 82, and they were still a below 500 team that missed the playoffs. And so I thought it was pretty clear that that group, you know, it's it's one thing when you win 50 games in the regular season, and you have a disappointing playoff run, right? It's another thing when you have, uh, you know, you're hovering around 500, but you've been decimated by injuries and you never got to build continuity and see what the guys are capable of. And don't get me wrong, like this team was intended to have a steady dose of Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball in the backcourt taking perimeter defensive assignments and kind of anchoring that end of the floor. And obviously Lonzo Ball has been a complete non-factor because of his injuries and Caruso has been in and out of the lineup, but they've had other guys, right? Like Ayu Desunmo has come in and played a lot of quality perimeter defense. They've had enough around their core four guys to be able to contend or at least to get to see what this group is capable of. And it just clearly seems like there is a, a ceiling there. I I think in general, among the four guys there at the top of that uh, situation, there's not enough just total commitment to the defensive end of the floor. You're weak at uh, in terms of rim protection. You're weak at the point of attack defensively. Zach Levine in particular has always struggled in help and recover situations. So like the, it just kind of was doomed from its inception, so to speak. And I'm surprised they brought it back, but they did. And obviously this year is off to yet another below 500 start that's uh, had player players only meetings and other frustrations. And so it seems like they're heading in this direction. Now, what I find is interesting is they this particular report from Shams mentioned that they're willing to trade Zach Levine in particular. What does that tell you? Zach Levine is like 
the one guy in terms of timeline that could still be worth building around. So it's not like they said, you know, we're willing to trade DeMar DeRozan and, and, and Nikola Vucevic and start over. Like, they're potentially considering trading Zach Levine, which means that they're kind of leaning more towards a full rebuild. This is what I said that I would do if I was running the Bulls based on a simple question. If you were to look at the Bulls roster, who's the one guy that looks like he either is on track or has the potential to be a bona fide superstar that could win a championship. Who? On the roster. There's nobody. Like, I really like Zach Levine. He's a good player. He's not on the track to be a top-tier superstar. Patrick Williams, really interesting young player. Not on track to be maybe even a star, let alone a superstar, right? So, like, there isn't a guy that you see in that locker room that you're like, that guy. Like, that's the dude that's going to take us to the promised land. It doesn't mean that any of them aren't good basketball players. It just means you're fundamentally flawed from the beginning. And, and we went over this the other day, but there are lots of small market teams out there that have bonafide superstars. Oklahoma City has Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Denver has uh, Nikola Jokic, right? Uh, Milwaukee has Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, like, you can get that guy in a small market. And before you do anything else, that's the that's the number one thing. Like, you can't do anything until you have that guy. And if you don't have that guy, you at least need to have a guy who could be that guy, right? Like, we're going to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers later. They have a guy who could be that guy in Evan Mobley. He's far away, but he could be that guy. If, if he's a way better prospect than anything going on inside the Chicago Bulls locker room, right? We look at Cade Cunningham with the Pistons, right? Like, is he going to be that guy? Don't know, but he could be that guy. And, and, and so that at least gives you an ability to kind of cope through the downtimes as you're basically patiently waiting to see what this talented young player can develop into. And the Bulls just don't have that guy, right? And so as a result of that, I leaned towards full rebuild for the Bulls in the sense that there wasn't anything here that was like, hey, we just got to make some small tweaks and give it time and maybe it all work out. I just didn't see anything like that. So in the event that uh, uh, that they go full rebuild. There are basically three versions of players you could go after with the Bulls. There's the kind of like perimeter shot creators, right? DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. There's your high-level role player in Alex Caruso, right? And then there's Vucevic is essentially an offensive-minded post-up stretch five, right? So starting with DeRozan and Zach Levine, the, I'm looking here at teams that need more offensive firepower, but are relatively close to contention. I think that neither of these guys, DeRozan obviously just at this phase of his career, and Zach Levine in terms of long-term potential, neither of them is like the kind of foundational star that some bad team's going to go after to try to start fresh. Like I don't see that being the case. So I think it's going to be teams that are close to contention that view a Levine-DeRozan trade as like an all-in type of thing. I put down the Philadelphia 76ers. I know they're playing really well within the scale of the regular season, but... If you're going to beat Boston or Milwaukee, I think you need a better. I think you need a, a better top tier shot creator. I really like Tyrese Maxey. We're going to talk about him today, but I think that they. Pro I think if I know Daryl Morey, he's probably going to want to 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 beef up his perimeter shot creation a little bit, right? Miami Heat have been in desperate need of another perimeter shot creator forever. The New York Knicks are another example of a team that like too frequently it turns into Jalen Brunson and no one else, and so they could use another guy like that. The Raptors are pretty much devoid of high-end offensive skill at this point, so that would be another, uh, uh, you know, Zach Levine next to Scotty Barnes is a really interesting duo, right? I look at the Minnesota Timberwolves as like an all-in type of trade. Like, what if they were like, "Hey, we have this all-time great potential defense. Why don't we put? Why don't we upgrade Mike Conley 
into you know someone like Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan, and now we're just that much better offensively while you know giving away the one guy in our starting lineup that wasn't a great defensive player, right? Like that that I think is a is an interesting potential move there. Golden State. They desperately need offensive firepower that too frequently. And we saw this in the Cavs Wolves games over the weekend, but they when they run into the really good defenses with good rim protection and, and guys that are flying around on the perimeter, Steph is basically the only guy on the team who can get his own shot. So that's another team that could use that firepower. The Los Angeles Lakers, I, I don't think they are as much in need because of how good LeBron has looked this year. But and I, I look at that as like if you could get DeRozan as part of a Caruso deal. I would be interested in that, but I have them lower on this list because I don't think they really need it. And last but not least, I put the Los Angeles Clippers. Actually, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Um, all right, Alex Caruso was the next guy that I uh, uh, put on this list as someone that teams would be targeting. Now, in this case, we're looking at teams that need backcourt athleticism as well as point-of-attack defense, right? These are some obvious ones at the top, right? Lakers and Bucks. These are teams that desperately need upgrades at that two-guard spot. Uh, the Miami Heat are a team that isn't the most athletic backcourt in the league. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks are a team that you could see Alex Caruso essentially as a guy that could play um, uh, significant minutes on the perimeter alongside uh, Kyrie Irving and, and Luka Doncic, especially as a team that kind of needs a perimeter defense upgrade. And then I put the Sacramento Kings as well. They're another team that you saw last year. They kind of went away from Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter at stretches during their playoff run because they didn't trust them defensively and they weren't making shots. So Alex Caruso is a guy who could potentially be an option that they put next to De'Aaron Fox in a playoff series and just kind of up their defensive potential a little bit. So those were some examples. And then Nikola Vucevic. So I'm looking at here I'm looking at teams that have excellent perimeter defenders, but that they want to space their floor for slashers. So like you when you have excellent perimeter athleticism, they typically are capable of being good perimeter defenders. And then on the offensive end, they tend to be downhill guys that want to get to the basket. And so that kind of pairing kind of calls for a stretch big, right? Because if I have excellent perimeter defenders, it makes my rim protection job easier. And if I have slashers, I want to create space for them to get into the basket. And so I put five teams down here. The Indiana Pacers, they have a ton of uh, of downhill athleticism from Benedict Matherin and Bruce Brown. And uh, obviously with Tyrese Halliburton kind of running the show, they are an excellent perimeter defense team that is capable of, of protecting the rim by just containing the ball. And then as far as the uh, um, as far as the offensive end of the floor goes, this is a fast downhill guard team. Vucevic could help space the floor for them a little bit. Obviously, Miles Turner is an excellent center there already. But, you know, in terms of just giving them a good backup center option, he's a guy that I would look at. Although I I uh, I think Jalen Smith has been pretty good this year, too. But I just put the Pacers down as a as another team that might consider Vucevic as a as a guy that could be essentially like what uh essentially like a five out option. So giving them the ability to run a lot more, you know, DHO stuff and 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 have just a little bit better offensive player at the five than Miles Turner, who I really like. And again, the, I'm just coming up with examples here. Pacers fans might think I'm crazy there. The Toronto Raptors are another team I thought that could benefit from a stretch five, especially with how good their perimeter defenders are. Um, uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they've been a bit small this year. I thought it'd be interesting to give them a big look if you put Vucevic next to Chet. You kind of saw this with Christian Wood and Anthony Davis. Like When you take bad pick-and-roll defenders and you put them in help side, 
so where they're more just you know uh, cracking down as a low man and grabbing defensive rebounds like and then you basically put Chet in all the pick and rolls like that would be an interesting way to try to um, you know kind of make them bigger physically because they the, the the Thunder as good as they've been they've struggled with really big teams this year the Pelicans floor spacing for Zion like getting away from a, a big that can shoot to a big that teams have to guard. And, and basically kind of giving Zion more room. And then I put the Cleveland Cavaliers as another team, and we'll talk about them when we get to the mailbag, but like putting him next to Evan Mobley. Again, like these are – I just gave you like, th- like what, 25 potential trades. So I did, not all of them make a ton of sense, but I just wanted to kind of give you guys an, an example of teams that would be interested in these players potentially. All right, moving on to the power rankings. So I want to change my criteria up a bit this this year and get away from the whole like, you know, big picture title contention stuff. And I want to really just use power rankings as an opportunity to talk about the teams that are playing the best basketball right now. So this is going to be very like in a vacuum right now type of analysis surrounding these teams. Uh, three teams that missed the cut, just to give you guys an idea, one of the things that I used as a tiebreaker was your like strength of schedule. So I looked at your t- games that you won against teams that were 500 or better. It was a big tiebreaker for me. So for instance, the Knicks, the Thunder, and the Pacers did not make my top 10 power rankings despite having solid records. And the reason why is those three teams have combined to win just three games against teams that are 500 or better. So they benefited from some, uh, from some strength of schedule stuff. Don't worry in the long run, we're going to do this power rankings thing uh, probably about twice a month, the rest of the way. And, and it's going to be a, uh, um, it's going, every team's going to have opportunities to beat good teams and to make their way onto the list. All right. Starting with number 10, the Atlanta Hawks. They're five and four to start the year. They're sixth in offensive rating, nine, uh, 16th in defensive rating, ninth in net rating. They have a couple of signature wins to start the year. They beat a solid Orlando Magic team. That was that Trey Young kickout pass and pick and roll along the baseline. Uh, to DeJounte Murray in the corner. They blew out a solid Pelicans team in New Orleans, and then they beat the Timberwolves at full strength with Jaden McDaniels in the lineup, albeit it was his first game back. Crazy second-half defensive run. DeJounte Murray went crazy, and they beat the Timberwolves. It was a really good win. And then they destroyed the Bucks with Damon Giannis at their place. Now, they're too inconsistent at this point. Their highs have been really high, and their lows have been really low. They've had these crazy defensive runs, that first half against Milwaukee, that second half against Minnesota, that second half against the Pelicans, that fourth quarter against the Orlando Magic. They've had these defensive runs where they look insane, and then the other end of that spectrum is they've been really, really bad defensively outside of those moments. But I think it's an, uh, a good example of what they're capable of. They're just a lot more, they're a lot faster this year. Jalen Johnson's development combined with getting John Collins out the door has given them more of a kind of like a, like fast and 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 a like fast break type of lineup the uh spacing has been significant uh, significantly better without John Collins in the lineup which has opened things up for them offensively just in general they're their effort in on-ball defense on the perimeter has been way better than it was in previous years. It's actually really fun to watch the Hawks when they are locked in because of what they're capable of. And um, 
in general, DeJounte Murray and, and, and Trey Young are getting better at playing off of each other. That was a big problem last year is they kind of struggled with off-ball spacing and it wasn't just the forwards. A big part of it was DeJounte Murray in particular was struggling to play off of Trey, but you're seeing DeJounte Murray hunt more catch-and-shoot opportunities, relocating on the three-point line, trying to stay involved in the offense when Trey Young is out there, and that's been a huge element to their uh, offensive success to start the year. They're running more ball screens without centers. Remember, that was kind of the thing in the past. It was like a steady diet of John Collins and, and uh, Clint Capella and pick and roll. Well, now they're actually like running a lot of pick and pops with Sadiq Bay, with Jalen Johnson, right? Like they're getting these with even DeAndre Hunter. They're getting like like all of those guys have hit multiple pick and pop threes this year. And again, like when you start running those screening actions without bigs, you start to have a lot of success because teams will try to hedge and recover, which will leave openings. In general, like ball screens with with uh, perimeter players are not practiced as often defensively because teams want to set their pick and roll scheme up, you know, with the big man. So, like, you can get a lot of good stuff if you have guys that are capable of of setting good screens and popping to the three point line and making plays. And Atlanta's they just look like a a better version of what they were last year, and and that to me makes them um, particularly exciting. It, again, I I was pleading with them this summer to run in transition more. They've been one of the highest transition frequency uh, frequency teams in the league this year. Big shout out to Jalen Johnson on that front. The Hawks are fun. I, I have them at number ten in our power rankings. Number nine, the Golden State Warriors. Losers are four out of five, but they uh, uh, started the year five and one. They're currently six and five. They're tenth in offense. 11th in defense, 11th in net rating. Their signature wins at this point, they beat the Thunder in Oklahoma City, they beat the Kings twice, they beat the Rockets in Houston, and Rockets are good, and then they blew out the Pelicans in New Orleans. They did take a solid ass-kicking over the weekend against two very good teams in Cleveland and Minnesota. Uh, classic things that we've seen from this Warriors team. When they run into teams that have a good combination of perimeter defense and rim protection, it tends to expose the lack of scoring punch after uh, Steph Curry. They're getting nothing out of Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson, and CP3 offensively right now. In the last two games, those guys had 30 points per game combined between the three of them. You need those three guys to be closer to 50, uh, 50 points a game. You need Wiggins around 18. You need Clay in that 18 range, right? Like you need CP3 in that. 10 to 12 points per game area, right? So like they're just not getting enough scoring out of the uh, out of that group. And the main culprit is Wiggins. The on-off numbers are not pretty. The Warriors have been outstanding when Wiggins is off the floor this year and pretty damn bad when he's on the floor. And this is a guy who was their second best player in the title run in 2022 and he has not been the same player since he came back from his um uh, since he came back from his personal issue last year, just hasn't been the same. And until he gets back to being the same, I'm not sure that the Warriors are capable of reaching the championship ceiling that they were at in that season. Do I think he's capable? Yes. It's just it's just weird. It's just weird that it's been it's taken him this long to get right. But there's a lot to be excited about for Warriors fans as well. Jonathan Kaminga looks like he's really starting to blossom into a good NBA player. He's getting to the foul line a ton. Nine free throw attempts per 36 minutes so far this year. 29 points on 24 post-ups. He's still been one of the more productive post-up guys in the league, um, especially in a role like his. And then team chemistry is in a much better place. They're 5-2 and two on the road. Most of their problems can be fixed by the guys in the locker room, and that's a good spot to be. The only thing that's concerning for them right now is Steph is missing the game tonight in uh, against Minnesota in the in-season tournament based on a potential knee sprain. The reporting is that he's not going to be out for long, uh, but this is a guy that's been vitally important to their success early on and has been playing like an MVP, so definitely a big concern for the Warriors. Moving on to the Miami Heat. 
six and four, 24th in offense, ninth in defense. Got a little dark to start the year, but now they're riding a five-game winning streak, which, by the way, is something that they never did at all last year. They also have two wins over the Lakers and the Hawks in that span, a couple of quality wins, and they found new guys, just like they always do, right? Like they lost Gabe Vincent, they lose Max Struess, and who's going to be the new guys that come in and kind of embody that Miami Heat culture? And it's been Josh Richardson's done well. Like He hasn't shot the ball well, but he has been a, a, a weapon at the point of attack, and he, he made a couple of really big shots at the end of the Spurs game that I think are good indicators of the fact that he's – starting to get his rhythm a little bit. You could tell he was feeling confident and good. He had a catch-and-shoot three. That was a big shot on the left side, and then he had a pull-up mid-range jump shot that ended up being a very, very important shot in the Spurs game that you could tell he was fired up about. That's uh, I think I think that's been a, a quality, inexpensive signing to kind of replace what um, um, what Gabe Vincent gave you last year. Jaime Jaquez Jr. hasn't shot the ball well, but his shot creation data has been off the charts good. It's been really good attacking smaller players uh, going towards the rim. He's run 29 pick and rolls, ISOs and post-ups this year, including passes that have amounted to 40 points. That's 1.38 points per possession. So Jaime Hawkeyes Jr. looks like he's uh, a home run draft pick. Obviously, they need to, need him to start knocking down threes, but we'll see in time. Trust that with the Miami Heat development. Drew Smith is giving them quality minutes off the bench. It's like every time you turn on the Heat to start the year, you always see like two or three guys that you haven't you know had much experience covering that are suddenly playing competent basketball in large part because the Miami Heat are just really good at finding guys that that are willing to put in the work. And when you work hard alongside Eric Spolstra, he's going to find a way to uh, to uh, help you impact winning within his system. And then I wanted to give a special shout out to Duncan Robinson. He's been much maligned over the years for being overpaid on his new contract, but he's added a really convincing off the dribble game. He's really good at he's really good at uh, weaponizing his pump fake to get separation and then he's added that escape dribble he's added that ability to get downhill and make reads and he was incredible down the stretch of that Spurs game not just hitting relocation threes off of, of pump fakes but also like driving to the basket and drawing fouls driving to the basket and making kickout passes I think it might have been him who made the kickout pass that led to the Josh Richardson three at the end of the game like Duncan Robinson uh, Duncan Robinson is has has addressed his weaknesses and turned himself into a damn good basketball player, and it's gone a long way to helping the Heat at the start of this year. And then classic Jimmy and Bam, just being awesome. They're anchoring the defense like they always do. Bam has been scoring really well in the winning streak. 24 points, 12 rebounds, and 5 assists on 54% from the field. Do they need more firepower? Yeah, of course they do. And like we talked about earlier, they're a team I expect to potentially get involved in the Zach Levine and, and DeMar DeRozan sweepstakes. But um, they're not going anywhere in the meantime. They're just too well coached, and they've got enough in the building to be a competent regular season team. All right, moving on to number seven, the Milwaukee Bucks at five and four, seventh in offense, 25th in defense, 19th in net rating. Their signature wins this year, they beat the Sixers, the Heat, the Knicks, and the Nets. So a couple quality wins in there. They had some issues with injuries and alignment, right? Like Chris Middleton's been in and out. Dame missed a couple games with a, uh, a sore calf that they ended up losing a couple games because of. And then they were running a very different pick-and-roll coverage than they did in previous years, basically bringing Brooke higher up to the level of the screen instead of dropping him back to the basket, which has caused problems for them defensively, but they've addressed that. And despite all of those issues and the defensive backcourt issues and the Dame not playing well to start the year really outside of crunch time and the Dame-Giannis pick-and-roll not really being as dominant as people expected it to be, despite all of that, 
they're still 5-4, and four, and they are 4-0 and oh in games that went to crunch time, meaning within five with less than five minutes left, and where Damian Lillard was available, 4-0. and oh. He straight up stole the Pistons game with late-game shot-making. He outplayed Brunson down the stretch in the Knicks game. He made a bunch of big plays down the stretch in that Sixers game to start the year. Dame is actually tied for the league lead in clutch points with 32 this season. So, again, that trade's going to pay dividends if they can figure the rest out. I do think they need an upgrade at the two-guard spot, though, like we talked about with the Lakers. All right, number six, the Houston Rockets. Six and three, 11th in offense, fifth in defense, and sixth in net rating. They've been the sixth best point differential team by pace to start the year. That's pretty impressive. Signature wins, they beat the Nuggets, beat the Pelicans, beat the Lakers, beat the Kings twice, all in their six-game winning streak. Ime Udoka clearly is one of the best motivators in sports right now. Um, has done a really nice job uh, kind of anchoring that defense around Jabari Smith Jr. and Dylan Brooks defending on the perimeter and getting buy-in down the line from the rest of the guys. Fred Van Vliet has always been a good perimeter defender. Jalen Green has gotten a lot more involved in the offense after I kind of complained about that to start the year. He's uh, uh, shooting the ball extremely well over the course of this win streak from the three-point line. And then Alperin Shangoon, so far to start the year, 20 points, eight rebounds, and six assists in the win streak. So in the six-game streak, 28 and 6 on 63% shooting and 1.22 points per post up including passes. I think it's been really telling how how often Ime Udoka has run the offense through Shangun especially down the stretch of games to show you how much he trusts him to be one of his primary decision makers. This is a tough basketball team. I I, I mean there's a ceiling here obviously, but they're just going to be a pain in the ass all season long. And again, like what a great spot. We're going to talk about this when we get to the Cavs in the um, in the mailbag. But like this to me is like a really smart way to go about the development process for one of your young stars. Like give him, make him play good basketball. Like surround him with competency and 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 competence, I should say, and 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 veterans, and have him learn how to play basketball the right way instead of having it just be a roiling shit show where he just takes a bunch of bad shots. I, I think I think it's it's an interesting approach and I'm curious to see in, you know, five years or so how this particular approach for the Rockets pays dividends. Number five, the Dallas Mavericks, eight and two. Second in offense, twenty-fourth in defense, fifth in net rating. They've definitely benefited from a little bit of an easy schedule to start the year. Six of their 10 games against have been against teams that are uh, below 500, but they're 6-0 and in those games. And again, like you taking care of business against lesser teams is a, is a very, very important part of being a great basketball team. And 8-2 and two is impressive no matter how you slice it. And there have been a couple of quality wins in there. They beat the shit out of the, uh, the Clippers, albeit when they're playing some bad basketball. They blew out the Pelicans in Magic on the road. I thought the win in Orlando against the Magic in particular was really impressive when you factor in the size differential between those two teams. Then they beat the Nets, and the Nets are solid. So there's, there's some quality wins in there, but they've definitely benefited a little bit from a light schedule to start the year. They've held up better physically than they did at the end of last season. They've hit on some signings. Derek Jones Jr. has been an interesting point-of-attack threat who's also had success spotting up by slashing and knocking down threes. Uh, Grant Williams, that was a home run. Derek Lively, as far as a draft pick that can immediately impact winning, that's been a home run. Luke is playing the best he's ever played. 33 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists on a career-high 66% true shooting, hitting a step-back three at just a preposterous rate. 
Kyrie got off to a rough start, but he's starting to find his legs. Last two games, 31 points per game on 54% shooting, and he's got his three going finally. He made 12 threes in the last two games. In his first six games of the season, he made only 10 combined. So the shot's starting to come around, and you're starting to see Kyrie get going. What did I say when he was slumping? I said he, he looks great physically. He's finishing at the rim. He's getting to his spots. He just needs to start making shots, and it'll the rest will come. And he started making shots, and now he looks more or less like Kyrie at his best. Uh, again, they're going to have to defend better if they're going to continue their winning ways as they get into the tougher parts of their schedule. And it's about to get hard because in, in their next five games, Pelicans, Bucks, Kings, and Lakers, and the Wizards, I think, are the fifth one, fifth one in there. But that's four tough opponents in their next five games. So we're going to uh, find out a lot about the the Mavericks and their uh, potential this year in this stretch. Because as good as they've been offensively, they've still been pretty bad defensively and on the glass to start the year. That's three massive front lines there between the Pelicans, the Lakers, and the Bucks. So they're going to be put to the test in the next couple of weeks. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design icon West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of the two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started to see a little more of your scalp? Are you unhappy with your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within, by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription, or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, Promo code HOOPS, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code HOOPS. Number four, Boston Celtics. 
It's going to sound crazy to hear them down this far, but hear me out. Seven of their eight wins are against teams that are 500 or better as well. The only reason they are not higher on this list is their two losses are against two teams that are above them on this list, the Timberwolves and the, and the Sixers, and the other team that's ahead of them has the same record as them at 8-2 and two and is the defending champion, which is like an automatic tiebreaker for me. So you've got the defending champion who's the same record, and then the other two teams beat the Celtics. So that's basically why I have them down at number four right now. But make no mistake, they've been incredible. Fourth in offense, third in defense, number one in net rating. They're outscoring opponents by 13.7 points per 100 possessions this year. That is historic level of dominance. Um, they were the best net rating in the league last year at plus 6.7, and they're at double that right now, more than double that right now. The Porzingis and Holiday acquisitions have been home runs. Chris Ops has anchored their defense on the rim, and he's been a dream fit in their offense. He's currently averaging 20 points per game on 71% true shooting. He'd be a 50-40-90 guy if he could make a few more of his free throws. Uh, Drew Holiday's given them a ton of defensive versatility. They've been throwing him at centers all year long, which is crazy, but it's just a classic, like, have Drew Holiday front the post and be very physical on the bottom, and then you basically offer help and rotate out of it, and it's worked really well for them. Uh, the bench has been bad, but who cares? They can stagger starters into those lineups to make it work, and and I, it just really hasn't been a problem for them in terms of actually winning games to this point. And Tatum is playing like a bona fide MVP candidate, so I, I think the Celtics are in a pretty damn good spot here through 10 games. Number three, the Philadelphia 76ers at 8-1, and one, only remaining one lost team in the NBA at this point. Third in offense, seventh in defense, second in net rating, plus 11. They're outscoring teams by 11 points per 100 possessions. That's also a off-the-charts metric for them. Tyrese Maxey, after a 50-piece that he put on the Pacers the other night, is now averaging 29 points, 5 rebounds, and 7 assists on 63% true shooting. That's remarkable. Embiid has been his typical dominant self. His scoring and efficiency are down a touch, but his rebounding and playmaking have gone up a level. Tobias Harris is having an excellent season, arguably his best season as a Sixer. 20 points on 67% true shooting, both bests for him in a Sixers jersey. The Kelly Oubre signing has been a home run. And then the biggest shout-out that I can give to this team that I've noticed on tape to start the year is their perimeter defense. De'Anthony Melton, Kelly Oubre, Tobias Harris, Nick Batum, Jaden Springer's been great in spurts as a point at the point of attack. Patrick Beverly has been a good option for them there off the bench. They're combining great perimeter defense with Joel Embiid at the uh, at the rim, and it's made them a formidable defense. This is a really good team, and most importantly, I think they're positioned really well to make a trade at the deadline that could potentially push them over the top. Number two. The Denver Nuggets, 8-2. They beat the Warriors, the Pelicans, the Mavs, the Lakers, and the Thunder. They are fifth in offense and sixth in defense, and that's been the story of the season so far for the Nuggets. The offense is just exactly what it was in the playoffs last year, just as unguardable as it's ever been. All five of the starters came into camp in shape and ready to go. They picked up right where they left off. That's all great. But most importantly, they also picked up where they left off defensively and then some. To give, to give you guys an idea, to this point, their 108 defensive rating. It was about 115 this time last year. So they're they're considerably better defensively even than they were last year going into the regular season. Contavious Caldwell-Pope has been one of the best point-of-attack defenders I've watched this year. Aaron Gordon is doing an amazing job guarding wings and in help situations. Michael Porter Jr. is playing his best defense of his career in help and recover situations. And then Jokic and Murray have just been doing their jobs, right? Um, the bench has a ton of switchy athleticism as well. They've struggled a lot, especially after the Jamal Murray injury, but 
there's a lot of potential there, and then they can kind of slot specific guys like Christian Brown or Peyton Watson in with the starters, and it even pushes their defense to a higher level at that point. And then since Jamal Murray went down with a hamstring injury, Michael Porter Jr. has been incredible as a scorer. In his last five games, he's averaging 23 points and 8 rebounds on 52-41-89 shooting splits. 52% from the field, 41% from 3, and 89% from the line. Hard to do better than that. Perfect timing filling in for the Jamal Murray hamstring injury. The Nuggets are sitting pretty right now. But number one, the only team to beat both the Celtics and the Nuggets this year, the Minnesota Timberwolves at 7-2. They're 17th in offense. And again, they uh, dropped... Two, they dropped two games early in the year, one where Jaden McDaniels didn't play and another where, which was Jaden McDaniels' first game back from injury. So basically, they've been uh, they've looked borderline unbeatable in the last, you know, six games or so, specifically on the defensive end of the floor. This is a I talked about this a lot this summer. Towards the tail end of the year last year, the Minnesota Timberwolves were one of the most impressive teams to me. And I saw I kept seeing this consistent theme at the end of these games Anthony Edwards would lock in defensively and him and Jade McDaniels would just shut down the opposing uh, perimeter players. And then they'd finally get a rest and it'd be Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyle Anderson doing damn near just as good of a job, right? Troy Brown Jr. brings another perimeter uh, defender into the equation. They are getting... They are getting highly committed perimeter defense down the line on the roster, anchored by Rudy Gobert in the paint. That combination just makes them, you know, again, I think this team has potential to be all-time great defensively. They have been so to start the year. The, the gap, here's the thing. Not only are they the number one defense in the league, they are four points better per 100 possessions than the field. The gap between the Timberwolves and the second best defense in the league is the same as the gap between the second best team in the league and the ninth best team in the league. Anthony Edwards has been one of the five best players in the world to start the season, in my opinion. I think he's a bona fide MVP candidate. He's averaging 28, 6, and 5 on 59% true shooting. Nobody can guard this guy. Basically, you have to pray that he settles for a pull-up jump shot and then pray that he misses. He has seven assists again against the Warriors on Sunday. That's his fifth time this season logging at least seven assists. It took him 29 games to log five seven-assist games last season to give you an idea of just how much more actively he's been looking to punish teams for how much attention they throw towards him. His playmaking has been a revelation watching him on film this year. Jaden McDaniels is the best perimeter defender in the world, in my opinion, and he's adding real scoring punch to his game. He's got kind of like a reliable little 10 to 15-foot pull-up jumper going to his left on the left side of the floor. Um, and they're anchored by quality perimeter defenders off the bench. You don't get a rest. Here comes Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Here comes Kyle Anderson. Here comes Troy Brown Jr. Like You're going to have issues no matter who it is that comes in off the bench for this team, and they've got depth that can help them deal with injuries, right? Like, you know, Troy Brown Jr. like is barely played, and that was a dude who was playing significant minutes for the Lakers last year, and one of the things he does well in the NBA is he can defend on the perimeter, right? Um Gobert's been excellent. He's done a good job in, in his help decisions and not overhelping to make sure he can stay home on the defensive glass and force guys to make shots over length. Shout out to Mike Conley. 45 assists to just six turnovers this year. Uh, Nas Reed, 120 points off the bench. That's the 11th most in the entire NBA. They're getting a lot of contributions. This is not a fluke. We talked about their frightening defensive potential all summer. You're seeing it come to fruition. I think the Wolves have been the most impressive team to start the year. All right, let's move on to our mailbag. I've got nine mailbag questions, so we got a long one today. 
Hi, Jason. How would you go about fixing the Pistons' free fall in the short term? Had a tough schedule, RE back-to-backs, four games and six nights. Plus, the shooting depth has been decimated by injuries, so that explains part of the slide. However, I'm worried Monty's running Cade into the ground with high minutes and usage, plus refusing to play Ivy alongside him to alleviate ball handling slash offensive initiation load reflected in his fourth quarter shooting percentages. From watching their games, I believe whatever defensive improvement Monty sees with Killian starting over Ivy is negated by him being a complete scoring non-factor. I'd love to hear your thoughts if you think I'm onto something or just scared from uh, or just a scared fan uh, Monty's doghousing another uh, top draft pick. So a couple things. First of all, with Cade Cunningham, it's not entirely uncommon for young players in particular to kind of fade at the end of games. It uh, is when you've Basically, essentially, professional perimeter defenders have now seen him for three quarters, and they just kind of like have a little bit better of an idea of how to kind of make things tougher for him in the end of games. Obviously, the physicality goes up a level as the refs swallow their whistles. Schematically, coaches will get more aggressive to slow him down. That's not unheard of. Uh, unheard of. That's an important part of a player's development. Cade has to develop to the point where he can stay strong in fourth quarters. That is totally normal for a young perimeter ball handler, right? The the thing with uh, with going with Killian Hayes as a starter, again, a lot of coaches look at it this way. You got to have a guy who's going to take your primary point of attack assignments, and it's not just one guy. Asar Thompson, you know, I, I I said to you guys like what a week and a half ago that I think he's potentially the best perimeter defender that I've scouted since I started scouting um, uh, prospects what three four years ago. And like obviously it's a short span, but he's the best that I personally have ever seen in, in my time doing this. But you play against these teams, there's usually two of them. And uh, having Killian Hayes is just another guy in that lineup because you got to think, you don't want Cade doing that, and you're running two bigs right now. So, like, you need another guy that can guard the opposing secondary ball handler. And so that's kind of the direction they're going there. Again, like, I, I look at it, you, you, you mentioned short term. The short term, you're going to be bad. Like, there's no fix for that. Like, I mean, maybe Boyan Bogdanovich comes back and, 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 you know, what are you going to do? Move Asar Thompson to the two at that point. And now you have Killian Hayes and Asar, uh, or Killian Hayes and Jaden Ivey off the bench. Like, I don't know how that works. Or does Boyan come off the bench? Like, I don't know. But that's not solving your problems. And so, like, you're going to be bad. So the question is, are you building towards something that is going to help you be good in the future? And what I look at there is, like, positional compatibility. So, for instance, like let's look at the Thunder, and the Thunder are obviously much further along in this process. But when you look at them, it's like, oh, Chet Holmgren, he's our rim protector, he's our five. It's just like that's pretty clear cut, right? Shea Gilgis Alexander, he's like he's our point guard, he's our superstar point guard, right? And then you go, uh, Josh Giddy, he's like your secondary guard that complements Shea because he plays a different style and he's big, so he can play next to him, right? And then you know you've got. Lou Dort is a textbook 3 and D player. That's perfect. And then Jalen Williams is like a big slashing scoring forward. And so all of them can play together. And that lineup is just super synergistic and it just makes sense, right? But then I look at the Pistons and it's like the exact opposite. And it's like, okay, Jalen Duran's really, really good. I like I, I, I like Jalen uh, uh, Duran, but like you're running a second big alongside of him. And, you know, I, I get it. Isaiah Stewart's been hitting threes this year. But at the end of the day, that's not a lot of ball handling up there. And we've seen this before where it's like, I I have the same issue with the Timberwolves, but like when you have that second big, there needs to be ball handling with that group because it's less about can Isaiah Stewart knock down a catch and shoot three, which he has been this year. It's more about in against elite defenses when you're not 
you know, because when you run, when you play against an elite defense, you're not just running a pick and pop and getting a wide open shot. Like there's a rotation, and like you've got to beat the team in rotation by making multiple drive and kick reads for a quality shot. And that's where aggregate ball handling in the lineup takes over. And like that's where it's like you know, if Jalen Duran's your five, and you've got four guys that can pass, shoot, and dribble on the floor, that's great. But if it's a second guy on there that can shoot but isn't a great, you know, drive and kick guy, then it can start to kind of dip you below that minimum amount of ball handling, right? And then I go into the backcourt and it's like Killian Hayes is a very different type of player than Jaden Ivey, but he's exciting in different ways, right? Like good defensive player, uh, one of the best young playmaking guards that you'll see in the league in terms of uh, taking care of the basketball and, and playing that, you know, drive and kick style, right? It, uh, you know, he flashes a lot of that in transition as well. But the thing is, is like Jaden Ivey plays the same position, different player. Like he's a downhill guy, like a rim pressure guy, and uh, he's capable of being a good perimeter defender, but he isn't at this point, right? And I think even though Jaden Ivey has a long way to go as a shooter, he's a better shooter than Killian Hayes, right? So like at the end of the day, if those guys, if you start to look at the roster and you're like, okay, you, you need one of these centers to pan out, probably Jalen Duran, right? Cade's your point. You need, uh, you know, a point of attack guard next to him. I, I like Jaden Ivey in the big picture more than Killian Hayes. So if it were me, I would look to move Killian Hayes and I would lean more into Jaden Ivey. You do a disservice to both of them, though, when you put them in a situation like this where they're, neither of them is getting as much opportunity as they need and they're not playing with your best lineups and it, all it really is doing is just kind of putting you in limbo even further, right? What you need to look at in the big picture is where Osar Thompson fits in all of this. Let's say he's the three. Then you need a, a big picture four with this core and you need a big picture two with this core. You've got two twos and you kind of have zero fours. You know, maybe if you had Sadiq Bay, maybe he slots in there, but clearly he didn't fit into that image anymore. Right. So like at a certain point, you almost wonder if it's worthwhile for you to, you know, look to move Killian Hayes for uh, a, someone that you can slot between Asar Thompson and Jalen Duran. That's, that's more of a perimeter oriented type of player. Like that's kind of the way I look at it. Cause like, it's really easy. It, we're going to talk about the same type of issue when you get to the Cleveland Cavaliers, but like, it's a lot easier to see the progression of a team into the future when they have their core five guys that are all kind of on the same timeline that all kind of fit their roles perfectly and they all can play together. And that's not the situation the Pistons are in. Like now here's the upside Pistons fans. Asar Thompson, like I said earlier, is uh, just an unbelievable defensive prospect. I, I pulled this stat up the other day for you guys, but he's averaging like four offensive rebounds and two blocks a game. Imagine that. He's turning four shot attempts by your team into extra shot attempts, and he's erasing two shot attempts from the other team. That basically means every game he's buying you six shot attempts. Now just run a basic equation like, oh, uh, based on your average half-court points per possession on both ends of the floor, it's going to be roughly a point. Let's call it six points. So Asar Thompson just on the glass and, and blocking shots is adding six points to your team every game. In addition to just how disruptive he can be at the point of attack, how, how well he passes the ball just as a connective piece. He's a very, very exciting uh, prospect there. So you've got Cade Cunningham, who has the potential to be a bona fide superstar, and you've got Asar Thompson, who's got all the all the potential in the world, right? So you're in a really good spot in terms of like you're not you're not like the Bulls, where you just don't have anything really to, to get excited about, but you've got a little bit of a redundancy in the backcourt and in the frontcourt, and that eventually needs to get addressed. Next question. 
Do you think the Warriors' strong offensive rebounding isn't so much a team strength and more a result of how much other teams are selling out to the three-point line to stop their shooters? Very interesting question. Uh, but I think it's both. Like, Kevon Looney is genuinely an excellent offensive rebounder. He's just very strong, and he's good at leaning on people. So, like, he can bury even the best bigs in the league under the rim and get rebounds. But I thought I looked this stat up to kind of prove this shot, uh, this this kind of idea, though. Because, like, essentially the idea that this question is getting at is, like, is there a schematic thing that takes place with the Warriors that creates more offensive rebounded opportunities? Now, what we're looking at there is the defensive big has to show at the level of the screen. So the screener has an opportunity to get to the rim, right? To uh, uh, to grab an offensive rebound if Steph puts up a shot, right? Imagine uh, against the Celtics, Robert Williams in the finals, like steps up on a Steph Curry three in pick and roll. Steph misses it, but Looney's barreling downhill to get the offensive rebound. So that's schematic approach one. And then the second part of it is like lots of three-point attempts. The Warriors are a high three-point attempt team. As a result, their field goal percentage is lower because threes don't go in as often as twos. They're a 45% field goal percentage team. That ranks 25th in the NBA. So they miss more shots than every team in the league except for 24 teams. Or ex- except for four teams, excuse me. Five teams. So essentially more missed shots and the actual defensive rebounder for the other team being pulled out to the three-point line definitely helps a lot. Here's an example. Dario Saric is averaging a career high 3.4 offensive rebounds per 36 minutes. His previous career high was 2.4. So there you go. I feel like that's pretty strong evidence that your theory that the Warriors and them forcing teams to sell out to the three-point line goes a long way towards uh, helping their, them as a team offensive rebound better. Hi, Jason. I'm curious, on what do you think the Cavs should do moving forward? They're in a weird spot of contending and developing. I think it's clear Donovan is not good enough to be the guy on a title team. Knowing that the Cavs, knowing that the that should the Cavs take the patient approach, you said the Celtics should, uh, uh, I'm a little confused by this. Hold on. Should they take this? I'm going to just skip that part. Should the Cavs take the patient approach and hope Mobley can be that guy? Or should they eventually make an all-in trade and trade Garland and assets for the next available superstar who can be that guy? A couple things. I agree about Donovan Mitchell. I don't think he can be the best player on a championship team. But at the same time, like he, it makes the most sense to keep him where he is. I definitely feel like Darius Garland is not that guy. Like Darius Garland, interesting young player. Don't think he's got superstar potential. Can Evan Mobley be a superstar? He's got that potential, but he feels very far away from that at this point. Offensively, he's a little below where he was last year. That's never encouraging. And his offensive shortcomings in the short roll ended up being a big problem for them in the Knicks series. If you move him to center, you're immediately going to go from pretty good to probably average fast just because you become pretty small on that front line even though I think that's where he's going to be in the long term it'd be a short-term sacrifice for a long-term benefit so like in in that example you're in a tough spot because like you what you really need to do is see what Mobley can become and then stay positioned to make potentially a star trade if it comes up in the future and so I wanted to kind of like pitch an example of like a soft rebuild you could do that would make the Cavs better in the short term while also buying you the time to see what Mobley can do by making the team a little bit more compatible with each other. So here's an example. Um, And again, these trades might be completely unrealistic, but hey, we're just having some fun. Number one, call up the Nets and see if you can work out a Garland for Mikhail Bridges swap. Okay, Essentially, that's a team that's heavy on 6'8 dudes that can shoot, right? 
you know, they already have Cam Johnson and Dorian Finney-Smith and, you know, Ben Simmons is hurt again, but theoretically he's another forward in that lineup, right? So, like, you, you bring in a guard, essentially, for a team that right now basically has Spencer Dinwiddie and Cam Thomas as at guard, and Cam Thomas got hurt as well. But they're a team that could use some more offensive initiation and organization. Darius Garland could help them there. I don't know if you need to throw in a draft pick. I'm not sure how those GMs value those teams, but... Garland and, and and Mikhail Bridges, you swap those two guys. That essentially puts Mikhail Bridges at the three and moves Max Struess to the two, which is probably a better spot for him there. Okay, Then you call up the Bulls, and you offer him Jared Allen for Nikola Vucevic. Once again, not sure how the GMs value those respective contracts. Not sure if you would need to throw in a pick here or there, but those are two trades that seem at least possible, right? You flip Allen for Vucevic, this is what the lineup looks like now. You have Donovan Mitchell with Max Struess with Mikhail Bridges, Evan Mobley, and Nikola Vucevic. Now, Evan Mobley is surrounded by four guys that can shoot, three of which are like knockdown three-point shooters, right? They're not going to be as good defensively, but the spacing is going to be much better. Again, you kind of do a similar type of thing that we were talking about with the Lakers with Christian Wood and, and Anthony Davis. You basically put Vucevic as the help side defender guarding the low man and you have Mobley defend and pick and roll. That kind of uh, like kind of allows you at least a, a decent chance of, uh, of defending at a high level. And then again, you, maybe you're not as good in the regular season, but I think you're a little better in the playoff context. And then you just let Evan Mobley develop in a spaced out environment, see what he's capable of. And then in two years, you can find out whether or not he's on that track or not. And most importantly, those are, (coughs) excuse me, those are two deals that don't empty your asset trove. And so you can still kind of hang tight and wait to see if a better deal comes up down the line for a star. Next question. As good as the Celtics starting five looks this season, the bench has been going through their ups and downs. Do the C's need to concentrate on the roster and look on this roster or look to strengthen it by adding a piece or two via the trade before uh, via trade before the deadline? I'm not worried about the perimeter depth at all. Um, you know, obviously the bench hasn't produced a lot offensively, but at the same time, the starting five is so talented and they can stagger things properly that they always have two or three excellent players on the court with their top six. Like at any given moment, you're going to have six, you know, you're going to have at least two or three excellent players on the floor. So like, I'm not really worried about that. The main thing for me would just be the center position and what would happen if Horford or Porzingis went down in their lack of depth at that position. So do I think they need to keep an eye on, you know, a potential center down the line? Yes, but the roster is not going to be an issue for the Celtics team. It's going to be about that guys and the guys in that group and what they can accomplish. Do you think if Cam Reddish can keep doing this well, does he help the Lakers in the long run? Playoffs, in the playoffs. So here's the thing. Cam Reddish is playing better. He's defending at the point of attack well. He's finding a way to impact winning for the Lakers, which is an excellent shout-out to Cam Reddish and his mental fortitude through what's been a challenging couple of years and and just scraping a, a, a scraping and clawing his way into a, into a rotation spot, right? Like, that's all very impressive. Here's the reality. If Cam Reddish is in your playoff rotation, you're – probably not very good like that that's just the reality cam reddish has knocked down a bunch of important corner threes the other day uh uh, like uh, in that suns game that goes without saying but overall offensively it's been it's been pretty rough with cam reddish and the perimeter defense has been good but not great what you really need for the lakers is you need an excellent version of cam reddish you need a top tier three and d guy you need to you need somebody that can that can legitimately cause problems consistently at the point of attack while also maintaining a threat offensively. That's why I keep 
pointing towards that Alex Crusoe option. I just think he makes the most sense in the world as a guy that they should try to hunt. Um, what do you think of Wemby so far this season? Do you think he's a strong candidate for rookie of the year? Yes, he's going to get rookie of the year. If you look down the line, there's just nobody that's having a more impressive season. Chet, obviously more of a winning context, but Wemby's just, a, a, you know, I just, even within that context, I think he's been a more impressive player this year. A couple things have clearly screamed off the screen as weaknesses early on. Being strong with the ball. Whenever he goes up against a good forward defender, they just are really good at identifying the times that Wemby gets loose with the ball and they just swipe down and knock it away. He's not very good at setting screens. That's something that he's definitely going to have to get better at over the years if he wants to create openings, not just for himself, but for his guards. But that's all classic young guy stuff. And like his jump shot's still super inconsistent. That's a classic young guy thing as well. All these things I think are going to get rectified over the years. Being a longtime subscriber, I've noticed you always put the recent finals MVP as your best player in the world moving into next season. Could you ever make a case one year that another player that didn't win the championship the previous year could be the best player in the world in front of the person who won the chip and finals MVP? So obviously weird finals MVP selections like Kawhi in 2014 or Andre Iguodala in 2015 are, are examples where you're obviously not going to call them the best player in the world. The other thing too is like I'm just going to start keeping separate lists now. And in the vacuum list and then the like actual, uh, you know, a trophy award ceremony, whatever bragging rights list, right? Like I got in all this trouble with Mavericks fans for having Luca at 10. And like, do I think Luca is the 10th best player in the world? No, but my list is like, it's, it's a bragging rights list. Who has the, like, uh, Bill Simmons calls it the championship belt, right? Like who has the championship belt? And I like that concept from the same point of like, to me, winning should matter. And so if I win the trophy and I win finals MVP, I should get to be at least respected as the best player in the world that year. Even if you might not think that I am right. Like that's kind of the way that I think that that should work. So again, like I think the way you address the other end. So I'll give you an example. Steph won finals MVP in 2015. I do not think he was better than LeBron. I think LeBron was clearly a better player than him at that point. And if I went into the next season in a vacuum, LeBron's the best player in the world. But if that same situation happened today, I would be like, yeah, but you kind of got to give Steph the respect within the scope of the regular season as like, he's got the belt, so to speak, right? Even if in a vacuum, you would take LeBron over him. That's kind of an, an, of an, uh, that's kind of an example of what I'm talking about. Do you expect Jordan Poole to improve as the season goes over? I understand he's running his team for the first time, but he's averaging 16 points per game on 40% from the field and 30% from three. couple things. First of all, I haven't watched the, the uh, a full Washington Wizards game this year, so I don't want to like talk you know profoundly about that team because I just don't know what I'm talking about. That said, um, what happens when you go from being a sixth man that's playing alongside a superstar and is pretty far down on the scouting report, playing a lot of your primary scoring minutes against bench groups to suddenly you're at the top of the scouting report and you're the guy that like the other team's putting their best point of attack defender on from the start of the game, like it just gets harder to play. And in general, I think like, you know, Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma and the rest, like they're, they're all getting roasted right now. And for good reason, they've put together a highlight reel of kind of embarrassing moments to, to start the year. There was one of them going around this morning on Twitter. That was funny. But at the end of the day, like, like they as a team have to make a decision. Do they want to be serious or not? And I think that'll go a long way towards both of those players and, and their development in the long run. Like, does Jordan Poole just want to have his own team and put up shots or does he want to become the best basketball player that he can be? Because uh, if that's the case, I think it's going to be a little bit more serious down the line. But it's early, guys. Like It's only been like 10 games. So I want to give those guys more time before we just immediately characterize them as one thing or the other. 
All right, last question, then we'll get out of here. How did you get on with Colin? Did you graduate with a journalism degree or have a pod and take off that Colin saw and then he reached out? So uh, I'll give a really brief version of this uh, just so you guys know. I Here's the thing. Like there are, in the old days, that was what you did. You got a journalism degree and you started writing for, you got on as like an intern at some journalistic entity and then eventually you got an opportunity to write occasionally and then then you started writing full-time and maybe you parlayed that into a podcast or a radio appearance or something like that. And then on the radio front, it was like you'd go into the radio station and you'd work the control board and then maybe you'd get to fill in for a guy on a Saturday and, and do three hours and then maybe the producer likes or the big shots like you and they put you on, you know, the next time there's a vacancy somewhere else or you go to some other station. But I didn't have the time to do either of those. Like obviously I had bills to pay and responsibilities and I'm married and my wife and I had a house and at the time. And so like we had, I had no choice but to, to make it work and, and to, uh, to earn money in the meantime. So basically for me, I sold real estate to make a living. And then I, on the side did all of this stuff at home. And essentially like, I'm very thankful that we live in this day and age because other, like if I had the exact same set of circumstances 10 years ago, I literally would never have been able to do what I do for a living. And I'd probably still be either working in corporate America or, or, uh, or, um, selling real estate. The advantage here was, is like the current set of tools that are available made it so that I could pursue this as basically a hobby. And then once the show had success, the volume reached out to me in my direct messages, I didn't do anything. They just reached out to me. Now we had a lot of success when I was starting, um, uh, when I was doing state of the Lakers with Raj, but like at the end of the day, like, like if they, they just straight up came out and, and contacted me through, through direct messages. Now the way that this works, it, it, this is the best advice that I can give. Like these companies, they have people constantly searching for quality content creators. They're out there looking. Your The tools you have available right now at home are capable of getting you exposure. YouTube has a built-in algorithm. TikTok has a built-in algorithm. Instagram has a built-in al- algorithm. Twitter's algorithm sucks, but it's there. Like if people retweet or like your tweets, they, they'll get you know uh, uh, shown to other people. So like there are tools that are available for free. There are podcast hosting platforms that are free. Spotify for podcasters, completely free. That's where I host the Two Sons podcast that I do with my buddy Luke. So, like, I that I'll give you the Two Sons podcast as an example. This is a an, that's a podcast I don't get paid for. I'm building it from scratch, from the ground up. Uh, it's a different vibe. It's me and my buddy Luke. We talk about things that are not uh, basketball, including Star Wars and and other current events and stuff like that. And like, we record a show, and I upload it to a podcast feed for free. I upload it to my YouTube channel for free. I cut clips of it and put it on social media for free. And from there, it will grow organically if it is quality content. And like those algorithms are a meritocracy in the sense that like when people watch, it gets automatically recommended. So your average watch time, your ability to retain an audience is directly responsible for promoting the content elsewhere, right? So like you have tools at home, that's what I did. And it allowed me to do that while I was earning a living elsewhere. Then I, uh, uh, basically slowly phased out of real estate when I was doing this full time. Now I'm at a position where I can afford to do this full time. And now I can actually give it my best effort, which is, which is where I'm at right now. But again, like 
I think if there's one last piece of advice I'd give on that front, the downside of having it be that easy and having all these free tools is that you basically uh, are in, there's just kind of an, uh, a sensory overload, so to speak. There's just a lot of people that are producing content. And as a result of that, like it's harder to stand out. And so do it, but give it your best. Don't be lazy about it because if you are the people that aren't will naturally kind of float to the top. So, uh, that just, hopefully that gives you guys a little bit of perspective. I, uh, um, if you have questions surrounding that sort of stuff, don't hesitate to drop it in the YouTube comments and I'll continue to kind of expound upon that in the coming weeks. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. We'll be back tomorrow, breaking down tonight's in-season tournament slate. I will see you guys then. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.